So suddenly I just had a whole group of friends in, in Los Angeles and I realized, wait, any place in the world that has a Jewish community, I've got a family. I can go. I'll be at home and accepted and I can ask for help. I can stay with people. I can get food. I, I could, I can be part of something and it's everywhere. And so that just, it opened up the world to me in a completely different way. It made, transformed the way that I view the world. Welcome to the Gary Scott Thomas Show. Here's what we know. The podcast with unexpected conversations. Listen each week as we engage in unscripted conversations where we'll be just as surprised as you will be with where the dialogue goes. So join us each week and be privy to the captivating conversations that are sure to ensue. Here's your host, Gary Scott Thomas. Welcome to the show. I, uh, I have on my glasses. I, if you're watching the video of this, I have on my glasses because I put my glasses on for a second because when I'm talking to smart people, I think it makes me look smarter. And, <laughs> and Josh Baines is one of the smartest people I know. And I've got to know him over the last couple of minutes and he will downplay it. But I'm telling you, by the end of this episode, you'll go, well, yeah, you're right. He, he is really, really smart. Because that's just who he is. He he's a writer, and we're going to get into what he writes and and the and the tome of ghostwriting. How are you today, my friend? I, I am great. You've been getting to know me longer than a few minutes. I said a few months. I didn't say a few minutes. A few months. A few months. I heard minutes. I heard minutes. <laughs> I'm go- okay. See, you're cutting down on my smart here. thing. You know me talking to you about. <laughs> you're cutting down on that. You're you're lowering the bar. <laughs> I was just trying to help you out, Gary. I want to make room for you. <laughs> Let me tell you stuff. Josh, as I have got to know him, has led one of the most interesting lives. When you sit back and, and if you watch the video of this, because we, we are offering video now, and you'll see Josh is a very nice, pleasant man, but he doesn't, you wouldn't see, look at this guy and go, well, he's lived a hell of a life, but he has. Can we, before we get into what you do, can we talk a little about you? Because I find that fascinating. The journey okay, you sure. went on, right? Born in, born in New York. Is that right? No, in California. You're born in California. I didn't know that. Yeah. In Riverside. Wow. Riverside. Do you know the software? Have you heard of Riverside? I, do you know the software I'm, I'm using right now to record this? Is Riverside. It's called I think Riverside. of my hometown every time I, I see the Riverside title. I'm happy it's now an app. It's ubiquitous. How long were you in Riverside? Uh, my whole life, same house, up until when my, my dad retired. And uh, I had already graduated college, so 23. I, 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 lived, I lived on campus, but, but 23, and then they moved to Washington State. Where did you go to school? Um, I went undergrad to University of Redlands. Redlands? What yeah, was... it's on the way to Palm Springs. If you're going from, I was just talking to somebody from Los Angeles and like, this is all the stuff you drive past on the way to Palm Springs. <laughs> where I, that's where I'm from. <laughs> hey, listen, we call those dots on a map, right? I'm from a dot right. on a map myself. That, you know, if you tell people, yeah. you have to define it for them, just like you do the University of Redlands. Yeah. Um, Warren Christopher, Secretary of Secretary State, graduated. State, he graduated from my alma mater. Um, and uh, Riverside is famous for, it's not famous for it, but I think every president since um, Roosevelt 
has stayed at the Mission Inn, which is a, a it's one of it's like a great hotel that is in Rivers in, in Riverside. Riverside was on the map in the 1800s for orange groves. And it was a spring kind of a place. Like it was a place that you go to get, uh, there's like a fancy name for that. Um, but it's a, it was a resort out towards the desert. And when you had rheumatism or you had something ailing you, you would go there and it was this resort kind of environment that was yeah. in the middle of nowhere. What did they call um, that? It was like, a, it started with a C, didn't it? Or something like that? Because they had them in Georgia. Remember, that's where Wilson, uh, I mean, uh, Roosevelt, okay. right? Yeah. Because he had polio and they had these things that they... Okay, people are going to email me, I know, because I've forgotten. Right. But they it has that <laughs> name. And suppose, you know, it has these mist. I say mystical qualities because they had hot springs. Oh, okay. You know, anything. Well, anything there were, I don't that, think they were. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm saying anything that had heat, right? Because the one right. you're talking about was near a desert. So there's. Well, I don't think it was. I don't, I don't think we, like there's Palm Springs and I don't know if there are springs in Palm Springs. Um, as far as I know, we now have a water crisis partly because of Palm Springs. So I don't know what the originality of water is in the area and the same with Riverside. What I know is that it had a good temperate climate that was not too hot and not too cold and they could grow oranges there. And so they started, they, they, they brought in the, I think it was like the, 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 the navel orange and they started, it became the place that was in the United States along with Florida that grew oranges. And, uh, there were at a certain point, you know, thousands and thousands of trees, which now we just have, they've cut most of them down. They've got a few left at Citrus State Historic Park, which is in Riverside. And it's nice, not worth a visit if you're there. Um, and so Mission Inn and, uh, Citrus State Historic Park. So I was a history major. I was a double major in history and theater at the University of Redlands. Theater. So that's why I do, that's why I speak this way about the history of Riverside and I get excited about it and nobody else really does. I love history. I wasn't, I was an English lit major. Ask which one of us is the writer, not me. Uh, and, and, but I love history. That's what I was saying is, is when, when you sit back, like everybody knows history, when it comes to oranges, the oranges you buy in Florida are the ones you drink. The ones you buy in California are the ones you eat. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, but I, I was, when you, when you were sent back saying all the presidents and I'm like, when you said that, I'm like, well, how far are you from San Clemente? I'd have to look at a map. So it's not close. That would be that would be my situation. Because you were saying Where it's it on the way from Los Angeles to, uh, you know, the things you drive to by, Palm Springs. To Palm Springs, and I don't, yeah. I don't know where San Clemente was, which of course was <clears throat> Richard Nixon's compound. Uh, okay, so he was one of the few. Well, him and Reagan were one of the few people I think who retired in California. Yeah, I mean, I thought Reagan had a ranch in Colorado, yeah. in, in California. Yeah. yeah. So when he was done, he retired. And, you know, Nixon was a senator from California. So, right. you know, but California, for all its bigness, hasn't produced a lot in presidential politics. That makes sense. Are we going there? <laughs> Am I scaring you? <laughs> I just, I don't have a lot to say about it. Like, of the thing, like, I've been so focused on what I'm working on. And the what you know what I do, um, and my family, and you know my stuff that I won't be able to speak eloquently about whatever is going on in politics. No, 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 no. I wasn't going to talk about what I was talking history of politics. Okay, the history well, that of politics. All, maybe all the more. I don't know if I could do that either. But. And that's okay because what I really wanted to get because because it was the journey, and you told me about you you majored and then and then you decided to travel. 
yeah. So uh, when I went to the University of Redlands, they've got a great study abroad program. My uncle went there. Um, and, uh, and so I guess I was a legacy and is what they call it. Um, so despite any of my own record, I, I got in and, uh, and I was very interested in the school. I was really, I wanted to be a, a theater major and they didn't really have a theater major. They had a theater program, but not a major. Um, but they had a extraordinary study abroad program. And that was, I just wanted that. And I wanted very much to go to Scotland and, um, I played the bagpipes and shut uh, up. Yeah. Yeah. Really? <laughs> you just took the glasses off. Yeah. Because, um, because I, I was tired of seeing my reflection <laughs> in my glasses. So I was like, so I'm like, wow, you learned to play the bagpipes. Yes. Uh, so I could tell you the story. I was at a boy scout camp when I was 17 and there was a man in a kilt and a scout uniform playing the bagpipes under a tree. And my dad said, why don't you talk to him? So I went and spoke to him. And by the end of the conversation, I was signed up for lessons. And, uh, his name was Mike Terry. Uh, and that was in Riverside. And I went once a week and got bagpipe lessons. And, um, and that had a, you know, a big influence on me. Um, and, and I don't know exactly how it came about that I got this, this feeling of wanting to go to Scotland. Um, and I guess as I write my book, um, I would say something about at one point he said, for some people, bagpipes is, uh, a like an avocation and for other people it's blood and i said what is it for me he said for you it's blood so there could be you know a scottish ancestor back there you know with the baines and either my either my last name baines is is uh it's i i always say it's either it's either scottish for uh from the clan mcbain which is a sept of the Mackay clan and uh and it means son of, son of the lively one or it's french and it means bathroom so it's, 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 it's one of the two. So I prefer the Scottish, the Scottish variant. Maybe a mix. Um, Maybe it's the son of the lively bathroom. I don't know. <laughs> or what the hell is my son doing in the bathroom? Maybe it's that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, you are the only person I've everything. ever known of who's heard, who's taken bagpipe lessons. I've lived a long yeah, time yeah. and I've never met anyone who's taken bagpipe lessons. Right. Well, we're out there there. And if you start looking around, you'll see there are plenty of, there are plenty of pipers around. Um, and, uh, and piping is actually integral to my, my journey. Um, one, because, uh, it probably gave me the wherewithal to choose Scotland first. And so I, I ended up going studying abroad. I went to the University of Redlands. I, I took advantage of the study abroad program. I went to the University of Glasgow my, my junior year and, um, had an amazing time and, and, uh, all of the things that you do. So I, um, I, I chose as my, my theme for that. At a certain point, it, I, I felt like this is the first time that I've really been alone. I've really been on my own. And I had this feeling that I wanted, I, I chose a theme. And the theme for that, that, that period of, of my life in Scotland was solitude. And I wanted to go and experience myself in this place and do something that was quote unquote great for me. And, um, and so I had the idea, I want to see the whole country. I want to travel. And how can I do it? And I thought a bicycle, I'll get a bicycle and I'll bicycle around Scotland. And, uh, so I got a bicycle and I was able to get enough resources together so that during the summer I cycled around Scotland for about, I guess about five weeks, um, and visited and a bunch of funny stories, you know, along the way for that. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and, uh, I was calling that kind of period like bagpipes and a bicycle. 
Um, <laughs> and at, at one time. point, I was in the Outer Hebrides, uh, which are the, 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 there's the highlands and the islands. And so the Outer Hebrides are islands that are way off. Um, and you get to them and you're just out there. You're just flat and you just really are remote. And, uh, and I had been hearing, uh, th- this is kind of my personality. I'd been hearing this sound in my bicycle and I wasn't sure what it was, but I didn't really stop to figure it out. And I'll, I'll just keep going. And, um, and then finally I just like, that's, that sound doesn't sound good. Now I had my bag, I had my, 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 my bicycle with panniers and a big, and it was a tent and there was stuff. So the whole backside of the bicycle had been completely overloaded or I, what I thought was simply loaded. And then I was looking around the back wheel and then I like, what is it? And I put my hand like, and then the spokes just fell apart, like, like teeth falling out. And I just thought, oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm in the middle of, of the most godforsaken nowhere. Um, it's like flat. There's like mountains on that side and then eventually there's ocean on that side and there's still ocean on the other side and, uh, and the ferry's gone and I'm in the middle of, I'm in the middle of this strip of, of nowhere on a road. Um, and it's always raining. <laughs> and, uh, so I was on the way to visit somebody from, from Glasgow Uni, from the university uh, I was friendly with. He said, Oh, if you're ever in, um, if you're ever in my neighborhood, like look me up. So, um, I, I, I was, walking sadly my bicycle and i <laughs> with a wet then, bagpipe right yeah i didn't no i didn't i didn't take the bagpipes like i wanted to take them but i was just afraid they get destroyed on the on the trip thank god so I didn't for small them. favors <laughs> right and um finally a, a, there's a, a truck passes by and slows down like the truck slows down and says hey is there you need help like what's going like i said yeah i'm i'm, I'm looking for um a guy his name's i'm trying to visit my friend derek um, and then they say, McLean. And they say, we'll take you to his house. And, uh, they said, get in. So <laughs> wow. I got in the back of the truck and they drove me right to his house and, uh, and all was saved. And then there was a bike shop right there on the island. I got my bike fixed the next day. Um, and he played bagpipes really well. Like he's a really proper piper. And so in the evening we, he played the bagpipes. And then the next day we worked in the sheep croft that his, his father owned. And so it was, it was a cool trip. Um, but, uh, man, I could keep going. Oh, no, I, but you're running, you're, you're running the show. No, it's, it's cause it's such a fun, because I, I, cause I've only, you've only touched on a few parts of, of your, your life, which is one of the reasons I wanted to do this, you know, and again, we'll get around to talking about ghostwriting, but I just, found, okay. I found your, your story because you and I, you had broached on it once upon a time that you had that this this travel led you back to your faith. Yes, yeah. Um, I guess I I have a way that I tell the story, and um, he's written a book, by the way. You should read it. Uh, <laughs> remind me which one. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so along the way. Um, I, so there, 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 I guess there's multiple layers to this story. And so if I go back in time, um, I, I grew up knowing that I grew up, no, I grew up knowing that I'm Jewish. My mother always told me that, Hey, you're Jewish. We're Jewish. And, uh, her mother died when she was 14. And so she grew up not associated or knowledge, really knowledgeable about it in any way except knowing that she was Jewish and she did the same thing and told me, okay, you're Jewish. And that's all that I knew. Um, and, 
apparently that's enough or almost enough. When I got into middle school, she started showing me documentaries on the Holocaust. And that was the sum total of my Jewish education. And, um, and for somebody who's Orthodox, that's insane. Like that's not nor that's, that's very off the beaten path. Um, and when I look back at it, it's, it is remarkable that of what, what I ended up doing was, was unique. Um, although I'm definitely not the only person that, that has done what I did, um, which is to find my way back with that little amount of information. Um, but that documentary that I saw for some reason over and over again, like I saw it with my parents and then I saw it with like friends, like, Hey, come over, let's watch this great documentary, like horrible documentary. Um, and then we went like, and then and I, I was in a history. So my history class, like I told my history t- teacher about it in middle school. He said, oh, let's watch it as we watched it in my, my history class. So it got into me a little bit. And when I, went to when I, when I was thinking about, like, I want to go to, I'm in, I'm in you know, Glasgow uni and I have a spring break. I want to go to Europe. Here I am. I want to go to Europe. So, uh, my one thought of where I knew that I wanted to go was Auschwitz. That was the, I wanted to see a lot of things, but where I needed to go, I needed the trip to take me to Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. And I did, I had a bunch of other funny experiences in Europe. I was on the train in, um, and then, and I, it led me to, to, I think it's pronounced Osvisim. Um, and I'm in Poland. I'm sitting across from, uh, I don't know if I should tell this story. I'm sitting across from, uh, a, 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 a Pole, a Polish person and a, um, and an Austrian person. And they're both music students, uh, studying, uh, at a conservatory in, in Vienna. And, um, uh, they say, what brings you to, to Poland? And I said, I, and I was a stupid American. I said, oh, Auschwitz. And the Polish guy explodes and he says, there's more to Poland than Auschwitz. And, uh, I, I'm sorry. Um, I, I'm just a silly American. Uh, I didn't say that, but that looking back on it, um, of course he would say that. Of course there's more to the country than that. Um, but, uh, for many Jewish people, there's, there's not, and there's really nothing more than, than Auschwitz and every other death camp that, that was there. Um, and it's weird when you go because there's actually houses which are not for like it. I'm, I'm pretty sure that things are as they were. And so when you get off the train and you walk through the town and then you get to the edge of the buildings and then there's a field and then there's that famous gate. Mm -hmm. And so when you walk, when you walk that way, there are, there's houses here, there are old houses and you can just see it right there. So it made me just curious of that this was all just like, like, like imagine having your house be, you know, a couple football fields away from, you know, the most evil place on the planet. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what, that's what was happening. Um, and I'm not saying anything to begrudge anybody because I don't know what I would have done if I was in that situation and how are you going to fight against that, um, for those people that would, have a, a thought of fighting. Um, but, uh, it was a remarkable, uh, experience and I don't want to, there's no way to actually put words to it mm-hmm. when you go through that place. Um, and there's actually two camps. There's Auschwitz one and Auschwitz two, and there's like a kind of a highway in between and you visit each one. Um, and you see the shoes and you see the piles and you see the rubble and you see the graves and you see the ponds that are filled with, uh, people mm-hmm. and, um, uh, and, and everything is just signs. Uh, I was taking pictures of signs and what, you know, this pointed to that, you know, and there's 
X, this, uh, you know, X number of hundreds or thousands here, and there's X number of hundreds of thousands here. Um, so at some, I was crying at some point and, um, and it was a moving experience so that when I left, I, I tend to think, well, how do I solidify this? How do I turn this into something for going forward? And I thought I've met a lot of dead Jews. I'd like to meet some living ones. Mm. And, and that's the thought that I took away that I, I need to do something. I need to go out and meet, meet somebody. Um, because up until then I hadn't really, um, so I had a, uh, a professor, uh, my senior year, that was my junior year in college, my senior year, I'm back in California and I meet a professor and, uh, she was Jewish and we got along nicely and, and it, you know, came out that she was Jewish and I was Jewish and we started talking about it. And, um, that was the first time that I ever had a conversation with somebody who was Jewish. That really? about Judy about Judaism about Judaism wow yeah it, it had never it just never been available before mm-hmm. um, and she didn't tell me very much but anything at that point was you know more than you had like a lot mm-hmm. yes um, and so although she wasn't that relatively observant certainly to what I am now by no way at all um, uh, she told me about something called the Jewish book of why, which is this English book that it talks about. It answers questions of, of different things about what we do. Um, and, uh, and then she talked, she talked about, uh, something called a Passover Seder. And I had never heard of a Passover. I had never really, really heard of Passover. I definitely had not heard the word Seder. And, um, and that's all I heard. So, um, fast forward, I worked on a cattle ranch and I, went to uh I, yeah, I love the way you just throw that out there i worked on yeah. a cattle ranch i mean you know <laughs> I'm, I'm, on, I'm on a bicycle and thinking about my bagpipes in england and then i went and had this <laughs> this immensely emotional thing and then it reconnected me and then i worked on a cattle ranch and then <laughs> right right so so i uh i i i was applying for a rotary ambassadorial scholarship um which uh uh, a friend of mine um, from college, uh, her father was a big guy in the Rotary. His name was Mike Chilcote. And, and he, I think what I heard was behind the scenes, he, he made stuff happen. Yeah. Um, to make sure I got it. Um, and uh, he's in the Big Bear Rotary, um, big, you know, big Bear, California. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I got this Rotary ambassadorial scholarship to study at the University of Hong Kong. Um, and my thought process there was that I had already been in Europe in Scotland and, and I wanted to experience something very different, but I'm not great with languages. So it needed to be an English speaking place. So the top choices were Australia or India or Hong Kong and Hong Kong was the best. And I, I was able to get that one, um, for a journalism program at the university of Hong Kong, um, on Pak Fulam road. And, um, and that's in Hong Kong Island. And, uh, so I spent a year there and half the year I lived on campus and the other half I was doing my, uh, my master's thesis in journalism on, urbanization in hill tribes or the the traditional village areas of hong kong and so we're used to pictures of hong kong where all these skyscrapers and and um all of that is built on old stuff so there are efforts to retain the authentic village character of hong kong Mm -hmm. and in certain ways there's uh it's it's unique because mao came in like the middle of the last century and started destroying um, religion. So all of the traditional religious areas in China 
were scuttled or they were they, they, in different ways they were they were put down. Um, Hong Kong, being a British colony, was was saved from that, and so there are actually interesting, authentic, um, traditional areas that are in Hong Kong that you might not necessarily find in other parts of China. Um, so I was doing my thesis about about that, and um, it was all very alien um, to me, which is what I wanted. I wanted you know, a really different thing. But I guess I had this tuning so that I thought, if I really want to understand people, I need to get what they believe. So that drew me to religion. It drew me to the um, religious practices of the Hong Kongese. And, uh, uh, and I was studying it. I, got a, I found a book which was like a cult practice in, in Hong Kong. Um, and then I had my, uh, uh, my, my advisor for the Rotary Scholarship, who was Hong Kongese herself. Uh, so she was, I said, do you have anything, I asked, do you have anything interesting, traditional that I could come see or do? And she said, well, there is this practice that it's, it's very different, but, um, it, she said, you, it, and she started to describe it. And I said, oh, is it called Fouquet? And she said, yes. And she was totally shocked that I had heard of what this thing was, but because of this book, um, so she t- so it's a Taoist ceremony, which I do not fully understand, and and I and I don't mean to malign anybody over here as I describe what I experienced. But you go into one of these skyscrapers, and you go up to an apartment building, and the apartment building is a temple. It's a little mini temple, which means that there's an altar, and then next to it there's a card table with guys who are like kibitzing. Like they're, they're just hanging out and they're eating or drinking or something like that. Um, so it's very low key, but there's this huge altar that's there. And there's a lady who is some type of priestess and, uh, she communicates with either deceased relatives or gods. And she does it with a sandbox, which is in front of the altar. And she has a stick. Now, anybody who's actually knows about this can actually say properly what these, what these things are that I'm describing, but this is my white perception. And she takes, she, uh, so she ask a question. I ask a question. They translate it into, into, uh, Chinese, hand it to the woman. She reads the question and then she starts, she, she asks it in some way. And then when she starts writing on the sand, that's the response from those powers. And I asked, What's the best way for me to spend my time in Hong Kong? And then there was a pause. She said something, did something. All of a sudden, there's this, and she's writing in the sand furiously. And then, uh, I mean, it's kind of like, like getting your stock report. And then, it, then it comes out. They write it down. They talk. They t- they talk to the person that can speak English. To tell me, and they said, you. It would be well with you to study Taoism. And I thought, oh, that's all of that for like. Just tell me to like learn your religion is what. Like, this is how you try to convert me. Um, Look, you got spammed. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was my experience with Fouquet. And um, and I'm trying to remember why. I, I, oh, so so in other words, everything in Hong Kong was fairly alien, even though it's a British colony. So it's English and there's you can live there um, as a white person uh, who does not speak uh, Guangdonghua, Cantonese. Um, so... I was walking down the street one day on Hong Kong Island, past from the university around the island, and then um, I see there's this old building that looks totally different from the skyscrapers and everything else. And I, I'm looking at it, and I don't know what I'm seeing. It's just this interesting, beautiful-looking, um, 
and I, I don't know the architectural style that it's in, but it's 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 very different and I admit potentially European or Western. Um, and then I look closer and I see a mug and David, I see a star of David, and I realize I'm looking at a synagogue. And I walk down, everything's on a mountain. So I walk down into that space and down into the courtyard, and then I just like, wow, I'm like I'm looking at a, a synagogue. And then I go and the doors open and I walk inside, totally empty. And I just start wandering around. Um, and, uh, as I'm walking around and I'm seeing the, 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 what is called the Ezra's Nashim or the women's section. And I'm seeing all this woodwork and, and this incredible architecture. Um, I, it, what the thought that struck me was, Oh, this is me. And I don't think I would have had that thought if I hadn't have been surrounded by so much alien activity to me in, in Hong Kong. But because I was steeped in the villages and all of the, all this stuff that I really didn't understand or necessarily have any business being in, it it uh, it gave me this um, uh, what's the word a relief or a, a um, what's the word? There's a literary term for when you there's opposites a foil. It was a foil to my uh, my the, what I really am. It was able to, it showed me that like no, this is actually you, um, and I went to the calendar. I saw a cal- there's a calendar. I looked at the calendar and I saw Passover was coming up. And I remembered that professor that I had at the University of Redlands who talked about a Passover Seder. And so I said, I'll go to that. Like, that'll be, like, I can do something. So I, I went to that. And the rabbi, now, even though he was conservative, uh, there was something about me, I guess. And and um, the, so there are different strata of levels of uh, Jewish religious observance. And so this particular rabbi, he knew a lot and, and probably in different points in his life, he had been more observant or maybe he still was observant, but he was in practice over a group of people who were less observant. So you would have expected him to give me some potentially less observant advice, but instead he gave me more observant advice when he seemingly like looked at me and talked to me and he said, you, you should learn Hebrew and go to Israel. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And that put Israel on my map, which had never been at all before. Um, and the idea that there's, there's something that way. Um, and a little while later, I was at the, uh, student union at the University of Hong Kong. And I'm sorry, you're not doing much talking here, Gary. No, this um, is with the fair kind of, I love listening because I love this story and, and I am fascinated. I, I am absolutely okay. riveted. All right. So I was walking through the, they had a book fair at uh, the Hong Kong University Student Union. And I'm looking at the books. And then I see a book, which is Amos by Amos Oz in the land of Israel. And I think, oh, this is for me. And I bought the book and I started reading the book. And I saw at the beginning, it talked about um, this area called Mea Sharim, which is somewhere in Jerusalem. And there are these posters up and there are these people that don't like these people and they think that they're doing the wrong thing. Um, and they're upset because there's a, there's a band which is called the diaspora yeshiva band and they're playing music and it's bad and you shouldn't be part of it. He's painting the scene of Jerusalem, um, of religious life in Jerusalem. And he himself is very, very, very famously secular. Um, and so it was somebody, somebody said, this is the, <laughs> This might be the only time that Amos Oz wrote something that actually made somebody become more observant. Um, not that he was trying to do that. Um, but in Israel, things are very polarized, um, more so than in the United States generally. Um, and uh, everybody's living with each other. 
and uh, and it's an intense place. So in Hong Kong, I'm reading this book about Israel, and I'm told by this rabbi that I should learn Hebrew and go there. And I'm thinking, I'm doing journalism. I really want to do that. So Israel is the perfect place to be in the Middle East and do reporting in the Middle East. That sounds great. So that gives that me that idea. And then in the meantime, then I go to Thailand. I do an internship at the Nation newspaper in Thailand. Um, and uh, and there I go to the Chabad house in Thailand. So Chabad is the organization which uh, they, they do outreach. They do Jewish outreach, and they're everywhere in the world. You go any city or non-city, like, Villages, you'll, you'll find Chabad people. Um, and there are a lot, many of them catered to Israelis, uh, because Israelis are famous for traveling. Uh, when they get out of the army, they all go traveling. So the Chabad is there to, to, to give them a place, um, as well. And, um, that actually wasn't good for me because this was a very Israeli, um, like an Israeli catering Chabad. So when I came in and I just, like in Israeli, they're not necessarily, they're not looking for, they already know a lot or they don't know. They think they know. Um, and here I just come in. I'm, I'm just, I'm just white and earnest. And I just like, Hey, like what? Tell me about it. And they're like, what do we do with you? Um, so like I'm at like, what do you do? And what is that? So I didn't learn a lot when I was there, but it was meaningful that I was there, that I was in that place. Um, and again, in a very alien quote unquote place in Thailand. Um, but I, I started connecting more and more. Uh, to my, my Jewish brethren, like, as that became an idea that, like, I'm part of people. I'm part of a people. Um, and then, uh, like, I was, I was in Bangladesh. I was in, in, I've got some you know, funny Bangladesh stories and the India, Indian stories. Um, and then I finally got back to California and I'm with my parents' house and I start, like, what do I do? I don't have friends really, like, I'm, I, Everything's different now. I've been away a year and a half. Um, and I like, Oh, the Jews. I'll go, I'll go meet some Jews. Like what's happening? And I, now I know a tiny bit more. So I look at the calendar and I see that the holiday of Purim is coming up and Purim is generally the most fun Jewish holiday. Um, it's, it's when we drink. Um, we actually drink and, and uh, like a lot. And, uh, and that's part of the service is that you actually drink and party. So if you bring somebody, like if you want to get somebody to like Judaism, just bring them on Purim. And if you want them to have a different type of, like, if you don't want them, then pick a different holiday. Um, <laughs> pick all the rest. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all the rest, like certain ones, like, like the day that we're mourning for the temple, that would, that could be a good one if you want to turn somebody. Uh, and even then, I mean, different, there's, there's kind of like a holiday for every type of person. So some people that might really resonate for them to go for a different one. Um, but this was mine. And I, and I looked up, uh, the, I looked up what, 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 where there was something to do. And I found the happy minion in Los Angeles, which that, that sounds happy. That sounds fun. So, um, a minion is a group of 10 men and they, they pray together. Um, and that's the, 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 that's what we're supposed to be doing when we pray is to have this group together of men. So the happy minion, like perfect. Um, I went in and, uh, where I thought it was supposed to be in, in like West and, in, in, uh, in, um, Pico Robertson neighborhood in Los Angeles. And, uh, all I see is like the men, the women are over here and the men are all over here and they're wearing suits and they're very, and, and, and the, and they all are like reading from, uh, the, the, the scrolls called the Megillah, which is the story, the Purim story, um, uh, called the book of Esther in the, in the Bible towards the end of it. Um, and 
uh, and I'm thinking, am I in the right place? Like this seems really dour. And, um, and, and that, my, but my next thought is, oh, this must be what, what Israel's like. Like it must, uh, this must be different. It must be serious. It must be something else. Um, because this was a different kind of experience than one I'd ever had before. Definitely not like the conservative shoal in, in, in Hong Kong where, People were looking at the Orthodox people walking into the, that, the, the synagogue and, 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 and whispering to each other. Yeah. They read the whole book. Um, like the, the, the Passover Haggadah. It's a book that we read on Passover. Yeah. And, uh, for those people that of, of, of lesser religious tradition, they were not going to read that whole book. Um, whereas we religiously read the whole book and have a great time doing it. And it's a lot of fun. Um, so. Uh, after a little while of sitting down with them and feeling uncomfortable, all of a sudden, like a clown came in and then other people, like crazy people started coming in and I realized, oh, they're different groups. And this is the Sephardic group. And they were first in the, in the room. And then when they finished reading, then the next group was going to come in. The happy minion was going to come in and then they were going to do their reading of the Megillah. Um, and, uh, so then we just had a big party and then, uh, through that night, uh, like somebody was dressed up as a nun and somebody was dressed up as like, I don't know, like they're crazy getups and, and, uh, it's kind of like Halloween, um, for adults and everybody with, with a lot of alcohol. Um, <laughs> and then, and, and with scriptural content as well. Um, so I was invited for Friday night dinner and Friday night dinner that, that sounded like Friday night dinner. So it was great. It was, um, with this wonderful family in Pacific Palisades with a house on the cliff, uh, over the ocean. And I, this is great. Like if this is where I get invited when I come and hang out with the Jews, then I'm, I'm all in. And, um, uh, so the, this part of the story, they explained to me that, okay, so we're going to have a meal and you're going to wash your hands in a, in a ritual way. And then we're going to sit and we're going to, uh, break bread in a ritual way. And there's all these little, little things that they do, which are unique and are prescribed. And then they said, do you want to spend the night? And I thought, I live in Riverside. It's an hour and a half away for like, it sounds like they're being nice and asking me to spend the night. And so I accepted. Um, and then they said, you want to come to the synagogue with us in the morning? Said, okay, sure. And so I went with them in the morning and, um, and then I was talking to a great gentleman in the back who became a friend of mine and, uh, went through my first morning service and they read the Torah and then we went back and we had lunch and that was great. And then we, uh, in real time, I was able to find out what Shabbos was. So I didn't know that this was Shabbos. Now Shabbos is the Jewish day of rest. It talks about that in the Bible. Um, and the, Jewish day of rest is something that we do from Friday night to Saturday day. And there are many, 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 and I can't say enough many laws about how you do Shabbos. And uh, it's what really sets people either in or out because it's so much to take on. And, uh, and so it was, so I, I realized people are surprised that I didn't know what Shabbos was, but I didn't know what Shabbos was when it's, this is, if you're going to take, you know, like, this is, this is the, the, the central axis. This is what every, everything goes around. Most people, they go to shul, they go to synagogue on what's coming up now, the high holidays. Uh, they'll go on Rosh Hashanah. They'll go on Yom Kippur. And it might be that that's the only time that they go during the year. Um, For Christians, it's Easter and Christmas. Right. Exactly. So 
for, for everybody else, or rather for the observant people. So then we're doing this every single week. And that becomes, you know, it's a weekly cycle and your whole week revolves around, uh, around Shabbos. Um, so I, I, I find it interesting and I, I delve into it just, you know, personally. Like, why is it that I found out this way? Like, why is it that my whole life I didn't know? I, 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 whatever in, like, even when I went to the Chabad houses and I, like, they never told me, but they just assumed that I would know, but I never knew. I never knew that this is the thing that we do and that there's not any, like, if it, this is the number one thing that you, when you want to do outreach, this is what you talk about. This is what you bring people in with. There's great food. There's singing. There's people. There's families. You become part of families. You have, you make friends and it becomes your world. And you get to revisit it every single week. So suddenly I just had a whole group of friends in, in Los Angeles and I realized, wait, any place in the world that has a Jewish community, I've got a family. I can go. I'll be at home and accepted and I can ask for help. I can stay with people. I can get food. I, I can, I can be part of something and it's everywhere. And so that just, it opened up the world to me in a completely different way. It may transform the way that I view the world. Um, where now, Maybe the center was your friend's house or your parents' house. But when you're in Los Angeles, then it's instead, no, I'm going, I'm heading to the, I'm going to the hood. I'm going to the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And I know now 30 people and I could go to any one of them. And, and it's, and, and there's an incredibly deep bond that is just there because you know what everybody believes. You all are doing the same thing. And I don't think there's anything else like it. I think even for Christians, there is probably a level of distance. I don't know if you can necessarily go to another Christian and have the same type of experience. And we could, we could talk about that. Like I'm, I'm happy to speak about that. Um, I'm just comparing it is all. No, I, and I, and I, I just find it, I find it fascinating. Your journey is, is just captivating. And, and I would love to go. There's so much to talk to you about. And this is going to end up being one of my longest episodes ever because we're not even half into <laughs> what we're doing. And so I'm, I'm going to come back in just a minute okay. and we're going to, and we're going to finish up this because sure. I would love to compare. And then I want to go into the ghostwriting and, and, and all go this, but. Yeah, but I, and don't you apologize because what you just said, everything you just said was fascinating. I was hanging on every word. So we're going to take a break and we're going to come right okay. back more with Josh Baines. Feliz Navidad, my friends, and get ready for the holiday season by giving your friends and family a treat with catering from, wait for it, Havana, Cuba. I had no idea they offered catering either, but what a great idea. Change up the menu with the best Cuban sandwich I've ever tasted, and fried plantains will change your life. Here's something else you didn't know. Havana, Cuba was voted one of the top ten tamales in all of San Jose. 998cuba.com, and they have vegan, vegetarian, and gluten-free options. 387 South First Street in San Jose. Their catering will make this a Merry Christmas indeed with Habana Cuba. And we're back with Josh Baines, ghost writer and author. And, and I promise you, we are going to get around to that. But as we were just saying, you were saying one of the things you found about Judaism is the community. And you were asking, you were saying, well, maybe we could compare, you know, I, I think I think Christians are getting better about that simply because when we go back to the history, the, the idea of church was small groups in a home. That was what churches right. were, you know, and, and that's, and that's from our background because, you know, it all started in Judaism. And I've found that, uh, in, in our church, we have a big church, but they are constantly, mm -hmm. one of the biggest things they constantly try to push is what we call small groups and life groups okay. is what they call them. 
what pretty much would fit right in there, that your life group is what is who you share life with. You go to church on Sunday, but your life group is who you share life with. And they do everything they can to organize and help you organize and put you in contact with these small groups. So you Mm -hmm. would meet in each other's homes during the week. If there's, if there's something going on, a guy was talking about how his wife got she she fell off a horse on horseback riding was severely injured and the first people he called was his life group right because their family doesn't live out here so he called right. his life group and they were like taking care of the kids and bringing meals over and doing all the stuff that you were saying that you could depend on right that's one of the things right. you love about yeah. it and i think i think that's the key to a successful religion if if your if your religion is all about let's condemn everybody else and you're not taking care of the needs of your group. Right. I, I think you're destined to fail. But I think if you are building that community, and I love that word, if you're building that community that's part of a larger community, you know, then, then I think, I think that's why, I think that's why both religions are still around. Because right. in, in the essence of it <laughs> is you have to build a community that people feel that they are getting that they are having a spiritual, emotional, and sometimes physical, as in, here, let me take care of the kids or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Those needs met. I think, I think that's, that's the key to it. Yeah. Um, I think that what Judaism comes in and says, and I'm trying to speak to what you're saying, um, is that the physical is actually spiritual. Wow. And, if you want to have a relationship with God, then go change the diaper. Get your hands dirty because that's it. That giving that being tied to reality is in a certain way. It's what it's all about. You're learning about something that is, let's say transcendental with the purpose of bringing it down into the world and working on what's here. And through that, you're working on yourself and you're connecting yourself to other people and other, you know, other beings. And, and, and really what we're supposed to do is be there for everybody. And if we're going to say as Jews that, okay, we're a light unto the nations. If you're going to use that type of phraseology, then you actually have to be that. And then don't be surprised when somebody that's not Jewish turns around and is that themselves. Cause wasn't that the point? I I love that and 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 you're right you cannot live in a constant state of euphoria right totally not no and and no. and I try to I I've said this before and people have taken it the wrong way but I I decided you know when we had children and I had them later in life and and you have more children than I do but I remember talking to somebody at some point and they're like what's it like and I said if you can't learn to embrace the drudgery it's going to be torture but if you embrace the drudgery, and by what I mean is drudgery is things that we do over and over again, time after time, you know, mm. making dinner, washing clothes, taking baths, right. doing everything to let this human grow, it's drudgery. But it's also some of the most satisfying things I've ever done in my life, right? Right. And, and, and that's, that's the key to it. Anybody who has, anybody who has a perfect body, Right. If you worked out and you just have yeah. that perfect body like you, <laughs> if you have that perfect body, you understand what drudgery means. 
because your diet is drudgery. Your workout schedule is drudgery. You can learn, right. you can learn to embrace it, but it's a drudgery. It's something that mm-hmm. has to be done. And, right. and, and the euphoria won't let, la- won't, it doesn't last, you know? Yeah. I, I think, uh, I, I freely admit there's, there's times I see God working in so many ways, right? Mm-hmm. That if you just open your eyes and see it in so many ways. And I also recognize he's working even when I'm not noticing it. Right. You know, that, that it's there no matter what. It's gravity. Right. You know, we don't see it, but it's there. Right. And, well, and if it, if he wasn't, then it wouldn't be God. Yeah. Because by definition, God is bigger than you and bigger than me. And, and so we're, we can't get from one end of the understanding to the other, one end of the world to the other, understanding what's happening. Sorry. No, absolutely fine. It's, it's totally good. And I just, I just, I love that when you had, when you had brought it up, uh, in, in the first segment when you were like, and we could talk about it. I'm like, because it's just been such, it was so cool to see you not be, you, you weren't ashamed of your religion. You just didn't know about it. It just wasn't a part of your day to day life. Oh, yeah. And then for the fact that you had to, almost kind of leave and go on this spiritual journey and then get spammed, you know, <laughs> like you should study this, which led you <laughs> back to the place, which was home. And, and it's, right. it's so, you know, it, it, it is, it's it, Dorothy, it's Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. You have to go somewhere else to realize where you really are. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think that's just, I think it's fascinating. And what's uh, it like raising yeah, your children within the religion? Because as you said, it's not like you weren't raised. It just wasn't something you were very observant in. Um, well, not, it wasn't that I, I didn't, I didn't know it. I didn't know anything. Like we, there was no, there was no Shabbos. There was no Yom Kippur. There was no, you know, the thing, the things that, um, let's say virtually estranged Jews would do anyway, just because that's what they've always done. So I, we didn't do those things either and we didn't know about them. Mm-hmm. So. That's different from somebody who I think what you just mentioned was, uh, a person who had a, uh, shame. Mm-hmm. Like there are, there are plenty of people that have shame about their religion mm-hmm. for one reason or another and from probably across every religion. And, um, I can only really speak to, to my own. Um, but I know it's not my only religion, only my religion's problem. So it is something that like the, the path of somebody that feels shame back to being in an observant place in any religion is going to be different from the path of somebody who knows nothing. They don't have any baggage. And, uh, and when I, when I meet, like, as I became, a, a, you know, in the fold and I was teaching and like I was teaching English at a, a high school in New York. And so now suddenly I'm, I'm with all of these, you know, New York Jews and, uh, and I'm from California and I'm a little bit different and I'm funny or different, you know, whatever. Um, and, uh, and these guys have different issues than I've got. They have different baggage than I have. And I'm not really the one to reach them. They need somebody else that's going to take them to, you know, like the teen center and, and hang out. Like, no, like my path was, let me learn more, teach me. And they could, they like, they're, you, it's the complete opposite approach with them. And I would think that would be the same for Christians or Muslims or any group, uh, where they are now repelled by the thing that you're hoping they would do. So how do you reach that type of a person? You need a very different, um, you know, uh, <coughs> this, I'm, I'm thinking of this like teen counselor approach. Yeah. You need something like that. Yeah. 
I I think that's fine. So in the first segment, when I did ask if you were from New York, at some point you ended up in New York. That so I'm yeah, glad, we lived in New York five I, years. I'm glad I've been proven kind of right. <laughs> kind of, yeah, you're that kind of right. It wasn't just a complete aneurysm on the air. That, that I just, no, I've got a three four seven area code on my phone. <laughs> Well, it's it, it it and but I was saying this as far as raising your own children, right? right. I mean, that's that's got to be, I don't know, it's got to be joyful, right? To me, I, it just seems like it would be very joyful. Um, it is, and it's what you said it was also drudgery. <laughs> it's my word; you don't have to say it. <laughs> um, I mean, that's just reality. You know, that, that you've got both. It's it's. I I, I wanted to say that. Um, it, it it's really like I look, especially like now that we have YouTube or you have digital media and, and you can see everybody's world um, on a, on a micro level, person by person and what they do and how they show up, what they're interested in. So there's a lot of adventure. There's a lot of excitement and that's what we're attracted to. And that was certainly what I was attracted to. And in a certain way, little did I know that I was leading myself into a, um, a rabbit hole of, of, you know, normalcy. And the irony is that we all want these amazing lives. And yet you have to, at some point deal, if you want a fully amazing life and define that according to family, then at a certain point, you have to get off adventure. You have to get derail yourself from a life of, of, amazing adventure or incredible success and you have to start to give and you start you have to create something that's safe and giving and safety are the antithesis of going off and having an adventurous life and to be able to create that home and create something that is going to raise up somebody else then that's suddenly not about you it's not about what you're you find exciting or makes you feel successful um and you now have to create new definitions for yourself to make something else happen uh, that's going to be good for those people who you're in charge of. And I am not good at that. <laughs> I, I, you, you know, and, and the cool thing is because truthfully, you have lived a life of adventure. I've lived an amazing life, but I would not say it's a life of adventure, right? But it's been right. an amazing life. I, I've got to do a lot of fun things and great things. But I think the reason you can't stay that way is, especially when you have children, is that you, as I tell my kids, I lived the majority of my life as the most selfish person I knew. I was the first thought every morning, and I was the last thought every night. What do I want? Right. What do I want to do? Where do I want to go? Mm-hmm. And I said, now I'm fifth on the list, sometimes right. sixth. You know, uh, and I, and I can share with you that the farther down on the list I go, the happier I seem to be. Mm-hmm. Right. That I think a lot of people get locked in their own brain when all they can think of is them. Right. When you start thinking, and they've done study after study. If you want to improve your, your, your physical and mental well being, volunteer. They've done study after study on that. Doesn't matter what you volunteer. When you start giving and making someone else the focus, right? It takes all of that. I shouldn't say all, but it takes a lot of angst and anxiety away. Right. So, and that's the beautiful thing about children. 
right? Right. Is, is that when you start doing that, none of us are good. You've had this conversation with your wife. I know I've had it all the time where she's like worried that she's raising serial killers. And I'm like, how can you <laughs> say that? And then she'll go through, you know, well, they're this and they're that. And I'm like, you realize it is a universal constant that all of those people who tell us how wonderful our sons are when they're with them and right. we go, that's right. not who the we get at home. <laughs> and, and, and do you realize their kids, because their kids who come over and they're perfect gem of children, they have the same thing when they go home. They're like, my kids? Really? And I'm like, that is the, that is the universal constant that right. when they feel protected and they feel safe and they, they can, they can let go and say what they really think. Well, that's going right. to happen to you. Well, the truth of it is it's irritating, but you'd also, you should also look at it as a sign of trust mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that's a sign of, of they will, they will show you the stuff just like all the rest of us, right? We only want right. to show everybody else our best side, our best thing. Kids double that. So, you know, they, they will, yes, ma'am, where they never say yes, ma'am at home. <laughs> you know, but, but something got into them at home that causes them to, to, to say that. With other people. Yeah. And because they hear what you're saying, they just don't want to have to do it at home. It is the, it is the societal, it's the societal equivalent equivalent of sweatpants and a dirty (laughs) t-shirt. You wouldn't wear it to dinner, but you're totally fine wearing it at home. Right. So look at us, look at us going off on tangential threads. I love, I love that. Let's get back to ghostwriting. Cause that, when I first met you, that's what, that's one of the things you were doing. And I told you at the yeah. moment, you, the first time I told you, the first time I met you, mm-hmm. I was like, my goodness, that is, you don't even think about those things, right? First of all, how to write a book and right. how you go down that and how to tell the story. Can I ask you how you got into it to start off with? Okay. Um, how I got into it. Um, I guess I, the answer is that I always wanted to write my own book. And so I'm doing something that comes by me honestly, because I've been writing for so long. Um, but also because I've wanted to write for so long. So when you, you know, it's like you want to want something. And so I wanted to create something. And like when I talked about Scotland, I knew that I wanted to write a book about that. But I've always really, in, in all honesty, had a hard time doing it. I've, there, 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 there's like having, there's having this skill and then having certain fundamental roadblocks, which are really requirements to activate that skill or bring it to its fulfillment. And I have these roadblocks that have made doing what I want with my abilities hard to come by. And so I, it's hard for me to stick to stuff journaling, a diary, regular writing schedule, all of those things have been extraordinarily difficult for me um, to the point where I think, well, I just can't do that. And, um, and it's, you know, it's almost like a handicap that I have to figure out how to get over or around. And, um, and so on the one hand, when I was very young, I know we were going to go to grandma's house and there was a typewriter. This has nothing to do with my grandmother. We were just about to go to her house and there was a dinosaur book. And I put the dinosaur book in front of me and I put paper in this old typewriter and I start writing and I'm like, I'm writing a book. I was copying the book word for word from the this dinosaur book. But I, but in my mind, I thought this is writing a book. So it was, it's funny when I think of that, that I, I never, I never thought this is what I would do for a living. Um, 
and it's not, I wanted to be a paleontologist like way back then. Um, but, uh, but I guess that was in there, this idea that I'm going to create something and, uh, and it would be a book. Um, so I was way, way fast forward. I was, uh, working at an SEO agency, um, in greater Atlanta and, um, I didn't like it and I was looking for a way out and I fell upon, um, another, uh, I wasn't really a ghostwriter then, um, but, uh, I, I fell upon a ghostwriter who had as a, a course and I took it and I thought it was interesting. And I, and then I really thought deeply about it and I thought, this is what I do. Like this is, this takes my, like my highfalutin writing aims, abilities, um, now with my, you know, like sales copy that I learned at the, at the, the agency. Um, and you know, the, the, like that was like the agency was like really getting brought down to size, um, from all the, my, my, my journalism desires to like the real world of like, let's write blogs for robots. A person's not even going to read what you're writing. Um, I was upset that I, the day I, I heard that. Um, but, uh, I was in that place and I, discovered the concept of no writing a book for a person. And, uh, so then I just started pursuing that. And then I very quickly got my first, you know, gig, um, working on a manuscript, um, right after I left the agency. And, uh, and that was really the beginning of just, I it already had all my skill sets of interviewing and crafting a beginning, a middle and end. I had done many feature articles. So it's kind of like a book is kind of, you could argue that a book is, a lot of feature articles all woven together and, uh, and you just create the, the form, you know, by chapter, let's say chapters one through 10 or one through 20. And, uh, and there's, there's an arc that's going to go through them, but each of them unto themselves are an arc and each of them is a scene. Um, whether it's a memoir, whether it's a, a non, a nonfiction, you know, business book, you know, memoir should be nonfiction, but whether it's a business book that's, you know, like, uh, Blue Ocean Strategy or The One Thing or you know, they're th- these books that are, are pretty well known. Um, and uh, that also should have an arc. So the, you know, putting the, the, the thinking that it takes to put that together uh, wasn't that different from what I was doing to create a feature story because that arc is still in there. Um, have I answered your question of like yeah. how I got into it? Like that was how you asked how I got into it. Yeah. And, and your, your path into it, because I find it again, my background, English lit major, right? And I, I had to write a lot of papers. Right. But I can tell you that the ability, what you said is finding the arc, finding the arc in each sentence, finding the arc in each paragraph, turning it into an arc, arc in each article, turning that into a book. is, in my opinion, I think one of the top 10 hardest things mentally you can do. I I really do Hmm. because I read voraciously and I love when you, when you sit back and see a true artist, right? Right. Somebody who has that ability to create that narrative in every sentence, every paragraph, every that, that contributes to the book. It, I talk for a living. It's what I do. Writing is a completely different skill set. You know, I've been trying right. to write some stuff and you and I had talked. I've been trying to write ideas down at one point. I'd love to write a book and stuff like that. And doing it in the limited ways I've been doing it make me realize how 
wow, it has nothing to do with what I do, right? Uh, because mine's all extraneous and extemporous. Yours is a path. And having to create that path is, you know, I ask, I, I tell anybody, sit down and try to write, write three pages on your life and see how you do. Right. Right. And, and you will, after two paragraphs, you'll be like, you know, and, and because we don't know how to describe as well. We don't yeah. know how to, to find the interesting way and also to keep the idea in front of us. Mm-hmm. You know, t- to write a nonfiction book where you're trying to tell a story arc over yeah. two to 500 pages that you know, okay, it, I've never written, I've never written anything 500. I've, I, the most I've done is uh, it's not like 200 plus, but I'm saying 200 plus places. Why well, I said 200, I don't care. 200 to 500. You're still having to maintain, as you said, that narrative that right. is, yeah. that is, you know, I, I fear that if I end up doing a bad life and end up in hell, I will be consigned to write, <laughs> you know, my story for eternity. You're not trying you to figure out to a do math for eternity instead. Uh-huh. <laughs> you wouldn't be having to do, you know, equations and stuff like that for eternity. Math could be, you know, I, I can at least figure that out at some point. Uh, <laughs> but it, that's the thing is, is when you and, and we're talking about how people can, how, how they write their story. How do you find a narrative? How do you plot out? Here's a, here's B. Z is way over there, but we're going to get there. Right. You know, um, that's, um, it's, it's potentially the question and it's something that I've been putting some thought into. Um, and the, you know, the, dare I say the, the company that I'm, I'm making, um, where we create books for people or help them find their story journeys. Um, the name that I've come upon for it, cause we, so Gary and I, we did this business accelerator together um, so that's how we met each other. And, uh, so we did a lot of deep diving into what is it that we're building. And so what, I, one of the things that I recently came out with since then was, uh, this, the, the, the name and, uh, and the name that I would like to call what I do is Elixir. And the reason it's Elixir is because, um, if you go to, uh, Joseph Campbell's, the, the, Power the, uh, the, the, right. Um, so he was a, a famous, uh, you know, a philosopher, mythologist, uh, and he discerned many of the, uh, I mean, many, 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 he, like his actual writings are very deep and, and dense. Um, and they've been, um, uh, distilled over time by various authors so that we have a pathway that a hero takes. And you can see that in Star Wars, you can see it in, in a, in a, in a bunch of different movies. Um, and, and in most books, um, where there's an adventure or there's some path, like, like Gary was saying, like you were saying, Gary. Um, and, uh, and so Elixir is towards the end of the path. And if you take the hero's journey from the beginning to the Elixir, then where you go is into the dark cave of your fears. And if you go in there, then what you pull out is the elixir. It's different for everybody. But if you can get to the place where you don't want to go, it's the worst place to go. And you go there, then you get a prize. Prize is a funny way of saying it. You get the prize. And the prize is 
whatever it is that you were supposed to find, that you could only find by going on this journey, that transforms you in a way that now you can fight the final battle and win. And then you bring that back to the world that you came from as a new creation. And you're now giving to the people around you or re, um, reassociating yourself with humanity, your group yeah. with that. And, uh, so in, for me, what's exciting about the writing process or the, really the story process, because mm-hmm. I don't, in a certain way, I'm, I'm kind of multidimensional. And so I don't really care for writing or for telling a story or doing a video, but what I really care about, like what this meant so much to me when I discovered it, and thought of it for the name because I thought this is what I do. I, I help people find the elixir and other companies. They talk about, um, what it is that they provide, like the structure or the result. Like you find all of these, you're like New York Times bestselling. You know, I have it in my title. Mm-hmm. Like it's nice that I can have it in my title, but that's what everybody wants. We want the best selling book. And I'm thinking you don't want that. You want to, you want your elixir. That's really, really what you want. And if you don't want that and you just want a best-selling book, then we're probably not the right fit because I'm looking for the person that I can help that wants to find that elixir in their story. And, uh, and I can think of one client who I worked with a while ago. Um, and, uh, and in the interviews, uh, there were always these, these aha moments that were happening where it was like therapy. And I was telling her, you know, she would tell me things. And then I would say, well, do you ever think about, about this or that it could mean that? Or do you ever think that, you know, maybe you did this and made these decisions because really in your childhood, you were always running away from your mother, your father, things like that. And I think all of those, um, psychological, uh, experiences that we have. Uh, that you can, I'm, I'm thinking of like, I don't know, what, whatever you read about in psychology today, it applies <laughs> to, you know, when you're trying to figure yourself out or your family out or whoever. Yeah. So yeah. those things come up and they apply to your story. And if you can delve into them, whatever the, 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 pay, the pathos is, mm-hmm. um, then you'll find these gems of understanding that make meaning. And I'm all about meaning. So when you can find meaning in the story, so now you're getting close to that elixir moment. You're getting close to those things that have some type of ultimate meaning. And, and I think that if you take all of the events in a story and you kind of shake them, then eventually that the, 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 the most important thing, it either arises out of it or it drops down deep to the bottom and you, you've kind of pull it out. Yeah. Um, but there, but there's this, there, there is a point and the best memoirs will have some deep point that that journey was leading to. And you might not have known it at the beginning. You probably didn't. It probably comes from that journeying. And when you go through that process, then things come out and you learn things. Definitely as a writer, when you're writing the story, the new, new things will come up. And that's where it can really help to have a ghostwriter because the ghostwriter is not even, it's not, it's in a way, it's not even like the way that I view it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I may, I probably view things differently than other people um, and make things way more complicated or esoteric than they need to be. Um, and uh, like, I should really just go, you know, just do best selling. Like we just do, write some best selling books, Josh, that would really be a lot better for everybody. 
Um, but, uh, the, but the, the going through that process of writing will lead to these amazing aha moments as, as really what I'm, I guess I'm trying to say, I, I just derailed myself. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, the elixir, the, uh, what, what's this about? And, and I was going to say that the, at the end where it's leading to, like, let me give you a great example. Okay. The great example is, um, uh, Adam, and I'm forgetting his last name. So when I was in Hong Kong, um, I was, uh, very affected by a book and I'll have to, I'll have, like, put it in the show notes. You do show notes. I like, we could put yeah, it in there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The name of the book is called Rivertown, and uh, and the author was an, an American author, and he spent two years way more in China than I ever did. He was two years, um, I think the town was Fuling, and it was like somewhere in like the center of China. Um, and he was an English teacher, and he he wrote every day, which is what I have a hard time doing. He wrote every day, and he took great notes, and he made this journal of his two years, and. At the beginning, you know, you hear about all of his different experiences and all the ups and downs and the different cultural differences that were, you know, all this kind of stuff, teaching English and learning Chinese. And the point of the book, which you might like, I'm, I'm trying, I try to reverse engineer. When did he know, when did he know this in his own story that this was the point of the story? Um, is that at the very end, he's built up this image of himself of having gone through all of these ups and downs and now he gets he knows something about china he gets china in a this unique wonderful way that very few westerners ever get to know and he's walking along somewhere i'm just recalling this from memory now so excuse me if i get this a little bit wrong but um he ends up doing something and i don't remember what it was like playing music or he was dressed a certain way he was somewhere where he shouldn't have been all of a sudden there's this huge fight that erupts and he, and he's in this humongous fight and his takeaway from it, that's like the end of the book. And his takeaway from it was that he didn't know anything. He realized that he ever, he did everything wrong. He looked, he, there was, there was a video of it, I think. And he went through the video and he saw so many different things that he was not getting about that situation. And so his point was that he never could actually know China. He was always going to be a stranger, no matter how much he felt. Well, uh, he was, he was part of it and how much he had given to become part of it. So I, I think he started the book. I'm going to guess that he started the book knowing that that was the end and that that was the, the point. But in life, we don't necessarily know what those points are when we think about writing our story. So when you, in other words, when you think of, well, do I have a book in me? Yeah, you have a book in you. The question is which book or which story? And somewhere there's this arc in your life and you've got to figure out where is it? What's the story you want to tell? And what, like, what's, and what's going to have the most meaning and the most depth? And that's what you should tell. And it's probably going to be something that's the hardest thing to tell, like some part of it. That's what I tend to look for. That was a brilliant answer. Uh, I, 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 it was, I know we did. Josh is very self-deprecating <laughs> and Josh is thinking, no, I just rambled on and that was stupid. No, it wasn't. I, I love aha moments. It's one of the reasons I do this. I, yeah. then that people will have an aha moment or things that I've, I found myself going, hold on. You just said, because they didn't hear it. 
right? Right. It was just coming out of their head and they didn't hear it, which is, yeah. which is what you do. And I love the fact that you said, we all have a story. We all have a book in us. Which book? I mean, when you think about that on a personal level, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, really not, not macro, but micro. When you really go on a personal level and you start thinking, what book would you tell about you? And what would lead to the elixir? Because I don't yeah. know if every book would lead to an elect- elixir. Exactly. You could, right. you can always do the gloss. You could always just hit the surface and go there. But as you said, going into the cave and finding Darth Raider's mask and oh, by the way, your face is in it. Right. right. <laughs> You're doing the old Star yeah. Wars thing. That is the right. elixir. That's, and they took that exactly. Like that's why they did that. They uh-huh. did it on purpose. Because that's the image from Joseph Campbell, and 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 it is it is the hardest thing to do, and probably would be the most rewarding. I think. I think. Oh yeah. Trying to you know uh, what what throw the unexamined life is not worth leading. I believe you know. I it, really taking a hard long look at yourself and tying it back into how we started this. I think. I think religion. I know my religion is constantly asking you to look at who you are. Right. You know, uh, and, and where are you and what, what are your motives and what are, what is your purpose? You know, mm-hmm. what is it, you know, and trying to, to derive that, uh, and going down that and trying to find that story to tell. I, it's, it's amazing because I know there's list people listening right now and I, I know you guys are having the thought, what would be my story? And what scares me? Yeah. I, I, I love the imagery you, you did on that. And I think it would be easier for setback. You know, you could think of your loved ones and your friends, and I bet you can figure out what scares them maybe before they could figure it out or want to go into it. Right. Right. I, I think that's how do, how do people get there? I say, say they wanted to write a story and, and they, they, they're, they're like, okay. And, and I think this is what it's going to be when you, cause way you, as far as I understand how you do it, you do like a month or two of interviews. Right. Right. Yeah. And you have learned the questions to ask to, to, to get people to start opening up and finding that. Yeah. I mean, you have to want it. You have to want that experience and you have to want to say those things. And I've worked with people that really do want to do it and people that don't. And there's a big difference between what you create for them. If you create anything, um, by the end of that. Um, and, uh, I'm just trying to think of how to answer this because some people want to talk and it's wonderful to be listened to. Um, and it's true that I can see things that they can't, I can uncover things that you just need help. You just need somebody else there. If I, I, I wish for a ghostwriter for me all the time. I would love a ghostwriter. I, I, I get my books done. <laughs> uh, you could subcontract anything out, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and uh, like they can kind of do the hard beginning stuff and I'll just revise it. And I'm really good at that. And that would be great. Um, but uh, the questions are, it's definitely the fun part. It's definitely for me. It's not that I, not that I don't like writing, but writing's hard. And, uh, there's a lot of cerebral use happening while I'm doing the writing, um, which is just part of it. Um, 
And, uh, but the interviewing, that's, that's just easy. Uh, when I compare that to the other part and, uh, and it's generally very enjoyable. Um, and people really like being interviewed. Most people have not had the experience of being interviewed. And, and so when they, they have that, it's like they're breathing for the first time. Um, they're breathing out these stories or these things that they, they want to say. Um, and in many cases, I think they don't know what they want to say. They know certain, you know, they know what brought them there and they have some idea, but you know, just like me, when I answer one of your questions, I don't really know what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that I have certain data, but you know, I, I have, cer- I, I have a certain ability and, and then things just come up. I can't control what's coming up and I don't know exactly where that's coming from, but it's somewhere in here and it's, it's coming out. And then when I'm guiding that, if I, to flip these uh, comparisons around, if I'm talking to somebody else and I'm helping that person, you know, I could say, I help you, Gary, if I was going to help you, Gary, write your book, yeah. um, which you should of course write, um, then we would talk about what's it about, by the way, what is your book about? Uh, what I was going to do is, you know, the things I've learned in 36,000 hours of broadcasting and over 300 Whoa. celebrity interviews. That's yeah. amazing. So that's, that's the thing. And, I, and I've just been, you know, I, I've been brain dumping my memories of things of interviews I've done and, and the things I remember, you know, again, not, not exactly. I wouldn't say this is exactly what they said, but right. I do remember it well enough. And I bounce it off like my partner I've done the show with. And hey, remember this? We've talked about this and that part and things I've gleaned from those interviews. Right. Yeah. I sat back and said, here's what I've learned. You want to, you don't know what I learned from Garth Brooks. This is what I've learned from Garth Brooks. You know, right. If you want to know what I learned from Keith Urban, this is what I learned from Keith Urban when he told Beautiful. me this story. That would be a really super popular book. Yeah. And, um, well, thank you. And it's, 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 it's finding that, but it's, 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 you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's an elixir book. I don't know. That's where I was going to go. And that's the question of which book, because the first book, is this, you know, standard, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's a standard, um, you know, A to Z compilation. And there's a few pages on each person. And from however you want to divide that up, mm-hmm. you know, you say you're, you're finding, you know, what, what you talked about, you, you could, and you, you could repeat that over and over. It's a very easy book to write. You actually can just, because it's just, you're just talking about what you've done. Yeah. And what's there. Yeah. The hard book to write is your memoir of that. And they're totally different books. See, and, and it is. And going down the, you know, I, I, I don't shy away from any of the things in my story that has made me who I am, you know, uh, and I, I have talked about my father and his travails and, you know, and the things growing up desperately poor and, and all of that stuff. Uh, and, and it's, it's so I, I don't, but I know there's even something there trying to be honest with myself. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's still something there that I'm dancing around. And the truth of it is, right. I don't know what it is. I, I can honestly tell you, I don't know what it is. So, I think the only way to find it is to do the work. Yeah. Is to start talking about those stories and, and then you could back into it. Like it's possible if you have enough time with it, you might find that 
thing you're afraid of or that thing you're dancing around, however you call it. Um, and I would think that you might even know like what quadrant of your life it's in. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I could, I could see that. I think it's, I think it's a fascinating journey and thought process and, and seeing, and I can see also how, how you do it really well, because as again, you're very easy to talk to. And one of the things I try to do, somebody asked me, what do you try to do? I try to do, when I do interviews, I try to do them with no barriers. And I don't mean that on the guest. I mean that for me. Right. That when you talk to me, I've got no barriers to you. Right. And there's nothing I will hide away. There's nothing I will, I'll go down any road you want to go down. Right. Right. And I'll share, I'll share my thoughts and, and takes on anything that you want to go down. And whether we agree or disagree, at least we're going to have the conversation. Right. Right. And, 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 and keep it civil because frankly, I don't like shouting. I've got no interest in shouting. I tell that to my kids all the time. You know, that, 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 no, it's, 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 I don't want to go that route because I don't think anything gets done. Right. And, and then we all end up feeling bad afterwards. So why are we doing that? Right. Uh, and, and it's, it, so what I'm talking with you, that's, that's the thing. I can, I can see when you were saying, when you're doing the interviews, I see that you try to do the same thing as far as, whether you you're willing to share some stuff, but you don't want it to be too much because you want to keep them focused on them. Yeah, it's not about me. Mm-hmm. It's, no. But you have to approach it with no barriers, right? They have to feel yes. But I do that more. I I mean, I compare it much more to to coaching or therapy. It, it really feels like that. And and it like again, I'll, I'm going to use you as an example because it's just a lot easier to have a, a real you know a dummy, um, <laughs> a real dummy. And, uh, I've made it, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, rather than something you know uh, abstract, um, you know I don't have anything to go with on you, but if you were going to talk about a time in your life when mm-hmm. X Y Z, yeah, then we would talk about that. But then I would start asking you more, like if I really wanted to open that up into something that's deep, then I would have to start asking you questions that would peel layers back of what did you think about that? Well, why did you do that? What were you, th- what, how did you feel about, you know, when, when she said this, then how did you feel? Why, why did you think you felt that way? And once you start asking those kinds of questions, you really start getting intro, like, Oh, and introspective introspection happens. New things come out and you were never going to do that yourself. Like, why would you ever do like, you wouldn't even think to, to do that, you know? And even, and I think if you had a piece of paper next to you that was asking you, I mean, you could, if you would, if you had a lot of, you know, you know, ganas, then you would open that up and you would ask, answer those questions. But it's much more powerful when you actually have a person who is there and cares about you a little bit and is trying to get this out of you to create these kinds of, of, uh, uh, elicit these, these reactions, which work themselves very neatly into a story. And that's the difference between a ghostwriter and your therapist or your coach, because I'm not here to, to help you. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. And I, and again, I will go back into it that I think we're, we're on the same side of, of the street because when I say no barriers and that also can be as construed as no fear, 
And you have yeah. to have that no fear to ask these questions and you have to be prepared for the answer. It's yeah. one thing for them to be prepared for the answer, but when you ask some questions, you know, the old, the old adage goes, don't ask a question you don't really want to know the answer to, right. you know, and you're asking questions that you don't know where they're going to go. You don't know where it's going right. to go. And that's, that's amazing to me. Right. Well, and because what I learned in journalism school was that what sells, and when I say sell, I mean what works, yeah. is life and death. Life and death is the only thing anybody really wants to read about. And that's why the news is what it is. That's why it's always so insane. Mm -hmm. It's not because it's really that insane. It's because what people read, what they'll stop for is something exciting. So I'm looking for the most exciting thing that you will say, that I can get you to say. And that is probably going to be emotional and it's going to be something that is meaningful to somebody. It could be the person you're talking about. It could be you. It could be the situation. And there's different parts to every story. There's what happened, which is the description part. And you can make a very emotional story with description alone, if if that's what you're trying to do. And then there's your reaction. There's your human side of the story. And that's how you felt about it and how you thought about it. And that might be very emotional. It might be kind of deadpan, but then like in a, there's this book that I really enjoy, uh, that does this perfectly, the, the glass castle. Um, and, uh, it's really about abuse, um, on, on most levels, but the author was so abused in, in her own unique way that she didn't write it from a perspective of somebody that knew that it was happening. And so there's this deadpan, way that the whole book is written, which is very unnerving. At least this is how I found it. Mm -hmm. And some people love the, I found people love the book. People hate the book. Um, but it took the author's husband telling her, no, this, this was bad. This wasn't okay because she just, the way that she recorded everything in her internally was that this is just what my life was. And what uniquely comes out of that, I think are two things. And some people might hate this. Um, first you wrote about the desert and I grew up near the, going to the desert. So I really resonate with those parts of the book. Mm -hmm. I can feel myself in the book, in those scenes. And, uh, there were really terrible things that happened. And then there's also a lot of love, which is also communicated by those people who did those terrible things also. So you have this, you have this dichotomy, um, in the, in the book in is kind of like at war with itself. Um, but that's real. That's actually how we experience things. Yeah. You have a, a father who did wonderful things. You have a father that did, did, did horrible things. And, uh, thank God my dad just did wonderful things. So it's easy for me to say this. Mm -hmm. Um, and I actually recently didn't get a book deal because I had like, thank God never gone through abuse and I was number two. And the reason I didn't make it was because no, we need somebody that was abused. So I'm, I'm fine with not doing that one. Okay. Yeah. okay I'll let yeah. that one go. High five. Um, yeah. Uh, so it, it, far be it for me to, to speak with these things with authority, but I can speak as the reader and as the reader, my experience of the book, what I personally am taking away is that you can have this dichotomy and you can make beautiful moments out of something that's ugly. There are, or there are beautiful moments and then there are ugly moments and, and you have to deal with both of them. And 
by her being completely unemotional in the way that she writes, at least allowed me as the reader to see the beauty part, the, the parts with beauty as beautiful and as, and as wonderful and great relationship moments. And then the parts that were not as not without any kind of her telling me how to, what was weird was having an author not give me her opinion of what had happened to her. And I think that's very unique. And you could look at that as a sign of the effect of abuse, or you could look at it as a literary technique in a memoir. And, uh, I, I tend to look at it as the latter, although you could look at, you could look at it either way. Um, but, uh, now I'm, now I've lost my train of thought. No, I'm sorry. No, no, I, I was, I was enjoying that because it led me to think of this when you read. Do you read a lot? Do you have time to read? No, uh, not a lot. Not as much as Stephen King would say that I, I should be reading. Stephen King says, if you don't have time to read, you don't have time to write, which is what I tell all of my clients. And, um, currently I, I've, I, I am currently reading, um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Um, I've heard of it. I've never read it. I, yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and, and what can I say about that? I mean, that's what I'm reading right now and I'm, I'm enjoying it. And, uh, um, do you read a lot of, do you yeah. read any nonfiction? Uh, that is nonfiction. It's a matter I mean, of I mean, fiction. Uh, I mean, fiction, not nonfiction. Oh, do I read? Do I have read. I, I, I do like fiction. I don't have a time for a lot of it. Um, and, uh, I, I recently stumbled onto a, an old Tom Wolfe book. Um, because of the journalism background that I've got, I, I really became attracted. I was always just into nonfiction. Um, and I, like, and my heroes in writing were, uh, are, you know, George Plimpton and Gay Talese and Tom Wolfe and, you know, that, the, 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 um, the, the crew that was right, like, I guess the, the, those beat guys, uh, Jack Carrack, uh, Carrack, yes, uh yeah. you know, and all of those guys and George Plimpton, who was infamously wrote for Sports Illustrated and he tried right. to be an NFL quarterback in preseason for the Lions, right? Uh, paper Lions. And yeah, and that's just th- that whole experience journalism. I mean, right. Experience. Yeah. So that's, and then, you know, that's some of my favorite writing. And that's not, and that's again, generally, I mean, I don't know about Tom Wolf, but that's generally, uh, I mean, some of his stuff. Tom Wolf, the right stuff. I mean, he, that's his quintessential book. That's nonfiction. I'm just thinking there's this one that's about Bonfire the Vanities. Bonfire the Vanities from Wolf. Right. Yeah. You know, that's, that's fiction. Right. Um, uh, but, but, uh, then I started reading, um, like Moby Dick, like that's like certain things I read for the writing itself to, to understand what, um, what great writing is. And that is, um, uh, that's written in what I think is in a, like in, on, in, on a literary level is called like the high, high style of English language writing, mm-hmm. which is still some like, uh, like, but that's like 1700s. I'm not a lit, you yeah. know, I took the level for five credits in, in, in college and got decimated. I, I was the only um, English like, lit. Trying to keep up with it. Call me Ishmael. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, yeah. But, I, but the book is astoundingly funny. Like is what I, I, I mm-hmm. like, it's just, there are parts of it that are really, really funny. And it's still funny um, today, you know, yeah. as you say, stuff right. that was written so long ago will still make you laugh out loud today. Right. And yeah. that's, that's the thing. I was, I always encourage people to don't read Shakespeare, watch Shakespeare be performed. Right. Because it will make you laugh even today. Yeah. Right. And so I, I love that. I'm, I'm more of a, I'm more of a fiction person. 
I freely okay. I'll read some nonfiction, but I'm so I am I am enhanced and entranced by stories. Right. I know. And right now I'm I'm reading the latest uh Robert Galbraith is her pen name, otherwise known as J.K. Rowling. Okay. Uh, and she's created this uh detective series. And I think this is the fourth or fifth book. And what I love about J.K. Rowling is, especially you see the Harry Potter, you watch her grow as an author. Right. You read the first book and just put it down and go pick up the seventh book or eighth book, whatever it is, and open it up middle of the book and read. And you mm-hmm. can tell, well, that's the same author, but my gosh, look what right. she's done. And, right. and it's so, so it's fun reading this, this, because she started off at that level. But mm-hmm. it was the first really detective thing and watching her grow in this. And I right. found the books wonderful, but seeing them, you know, going to the fourth and fifth book, I think they've got a, I think they made a TV series out of it and put it on Netflix. Okay. So great. Yeah. If you just want to cheat over that, but yeah, I, I, I'm thinking two things. One is that every author who I work with is, uh, they get better at writing. Like when they write and they tend to be writing with me in some way, um, and whenever we, whenever I see like their writing will improve, especially if we're doing editing, because then they'll see what I'm looking for, what I'm taking away, what I'm leaving in. And, um, and then they start coming up with their own style about how to do that, which generally makes it better. They, they become better. And the, the other thing I was going to say was, uh, do you listen to classical music? This is a totally different reference. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, so I played French horn. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, Have you I done did. that on your show? Huh? You no, need to I do that on your show. I don't play it on my show. I play you it. Bring I, in another, like bring in some kind of like symphonic French horn player, and then you could have a whole show. Yeah, I could. I could talk to him about it. I haven't played French horn since I don't know. I was twenty, twenty-one years old. I mean, when I got out of college, mm-hmm. I was, I was done with. Even before I got out of college, I was because I had risen to the level of my own incompetence. Right. So yeah. I, I was an all-state French horn player for four years in a row. And felt pretty confident about wow. that. And then I went to this small school, Troy State University, and I joined the band and I saw these amazing musicians. And it occurred to me that this wasn't Juilliard. This wasn't the Berkeley College of Music. This wasn't Vanderbilt or Belmont. This was Troy State. <laughs> and these people kicked my butt from left side to the right side. So again, you reach your own level of competence and you go, yeah, there's no there there for me. Peace out. Right. right. <laughs> so, but talking to a, a, a symphonic, I would love to, I, I would love to find out because it's just like anything else. The pressures are insane because there's yeah. always somebody coming out who will take your place for less. Mm. It's yeah. like being a pro athlete, you know? Right. And, and your one injury, your one fever blister, your one broken finger away from, from being replaced. Wow. So again, it's finding those little things that you go, holy moly. <laughs> but see, I, 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 but I do, I, I, I love that you were asking if I love classical music. What was the thought process behind Well, because that? Mozart, so I, I, we were, we were like, doing, there was a family trip where we started doing the biographies of, of classical musicians and Mozart. One of the things that I remember hearing was if you listen to, I believe it's his, um, I'm not a Bucky in this, but I think, I believe it's his string concertos. I know it's the violin things that he did. Yeah. He does, a, he has a series of them. And if you listen to the first one, you hear a, 
um, you, you hear a certain level of competency. And then to the second one and the third one and the fourth and the fifth, he said that there's this astounding jump from the first to the second and definitely by the third. So by the third one, the complexity and beauty and a, a immeasurable quality of it is like somebody, like it's like years had passed between the first one and the third one, but only some months had passed from him writing the first to the second and third. And, uh, and so I made a point to listen to them all in a row. And when I did that, I got like, oh, wow. I just, I could really hear how something happened. The way that he dealt with the, the composition, uh, radically changes. And, uh, it was just, you know, one of the, it's, it, there must be some takeaway from that. I don't know what it is. Well, it's, there must it's the be some texture. elixir to get out of that. And, yeah, it's and, the texture. And if I was writing the, the scene, it would be something. But yeah, and on the, one foot, I'm not sure. The Malcolm Gladwell effect. You know, the 10,000 hours, the more you do it, the more confident right. you get. And then it comes yeah. to diminishing returns, which is the funny thing about life is that, you know, you get better at it, you get better at it, you get better at it. Frank Sinatra was really good. But if you saw Frank Sinatra performing at 71, he wasn't. Right. You know, at 50, he was amazing. 71? Mm-hmm. Things that started to slip, you know, yeah. so, so there is that arc, as you were saying, that, right? You know, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going, and then time and gravity take over. Yeah. Yeah. And that's called the, as, as you probably know from your lit days, that was, that's the denouement. Mm-hmm. The denouement is the, after the story's over, after the climax, and now you're going to have this ebbing away period of tying up of loose ends and, uh, that's just part of life too. Yeah, and that's the next part of the journey. I mean, I've I've I saw a guy a couple of weeks ago who I remember this big, burly guy who liked to fight, you know. But th- that was thirty years ago when he was in his thirties and forties, and and now right. I saw him and he's seventy, and he's kind of this shriveled up old man, and you wouldn't know mm-hmm. his backstory. Right, he was like he was the like to fight guy, and now you just look at him and you go, oh, look at you, sweet old man. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, it's now he's on a completely different journey. Right. My friend, you, you've given me my Joe Rogan moment. This has been my last podcast (laughs) because I've just enjoyed the conversation so much. Joshbase.com. Find out the story you have. Which story is it? Which book are you willing to? It's a fascinating question, huh? And if you made it to the end of this podcast, well, I'm happy about this podcast. People listen to at 80% listen to the entire podcast. Wow. So this is a challenge for you all, but this has been so fascinating as I knew it would be. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Gary. I really appreciate this as my, my first foray into uh, being a podcast guest. You, you nailed it. And they all get easier <laughs> from here on out. Thanks for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe, download a few more episodes, and please leave a review. Reviews really help us get this out to more people like you. Also, we'd love to hear what your favorite part was. Be sure to join us on social media to engage in even more unexpected conversations. Until next time.